Good morning. My name is Blank Swalker. I'm blessed to be serving as one of your elders here at Christ Presbyterian Church. It is a blessing and a privilege to be here today and to share the message that God has laid upon my heart with you all. Those of you who have been coming to CPC for a while know that I've been helping to lead worship here on a regular basis. Actually, since we joined the church almost 29 years ago, it's hard to believe it's been that long. I've had the honor of preaching on a couple of other occasions, most recently about 10 years ago. But I will confess to you, I'm much more comfortable being here or here than I am here. Um, if, and I tried to figure out the past couple of weeks if there was a way that I could sing this message to you all. And uh, I'm not talented enough to do that, to write the music, so uh, bear with me. Uh, here we go. Um, I pray that you can take something away from this message that will help you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. Every time that I preach, I gain a deeper understanding and a deeper appreciation for our pastor, Dave, who is, who is so faithful in bringing the word to us each week and always puts our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the center, on display, week after week. We are blessed to have him and his precious family with us here at CPC, and I'm grateful for what the Lord is doing in his life. God's speaking to us through Dave's heart, and I appreciate that so very much. I do have one disclaimer, though. If any of you are here today or those of you who are tuning in on the, um, with the live stream or with us for the first time, please make sure to tune in next week when you can hear someone else <laughs> preach from the pulpit. Um, some of you know that uh, our family has had its share of trials over the of difficulties over the years. Uh, we've often held a spot in the top ten on the prayer chain from week to week. Uh, by the way, thank you from the bottom of my heart for your prayers for me and my family. It has been a tremendous blessing for us. Thank you. Um, over the years, there have been several motor vehicle accidents, which my wife Tammy was involved in, where she got rear-ended when she was uh, sitting there at, at, stop, at a stoplight or a stop sign. It was so bad at one point, y'all, I actually got out and walked around to the back of my car to see if anybody put a sign on it that says, please hit me. You know, like, like we used to do in grade school and, you know, kick me, pinch me, that kind of stuff. It was, it was that bad at one time. Um, we've also dealt with a lot of health issues, or several health issues, from thyroid issues to a brain tumor uh, or meningioma back in 2007. To more recently, her having a condition where we continue to lift her up and, because her jawbone is deteriorating painful, painful kind of thing. Throughout all of these issues, God has continued to press three words into my heart over and over and over. Peace. Be still. Today I want to look at a passage of scripture which will be very familiar to many of you. It comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Uh, will you please stand with me as I read, as we read God's word together. Starting in verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Hush, or peace, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. May God add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. Please be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this time. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks for your holy word, which is the only real source of truth in our lives. We also thank you for bringing us together today to worship and to grow closer in our walks with you. I pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word and that you will enable each of us to be still, to rest in you and you alone, for you alone are our sufficiency. We need no other person or thing to be whole, only you. Please allow me to speak the words that you've laid upon my heart with clarity and with thankfulness and enable your people to hear those things that are true and good. For we pray in the name of our all-powerful risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What comes to your mind when I say the words, peace be still? My mind goes back to a couple of, several things actually. One, when I was a little, a little boy, I remember every time we had a thunderstorm, you guys that are around my age will probably know exactly what I'm going to say. But every time we'd have a thunderstorm, my mom would always say, shh, be still, be quiet. I always wondered about that. And my, and my great aunt would say, we needed to show respect to God while he was doing his work. Well, that was, that was way before I knew Jesus, and I, I'd heard of God, and that was, that was about it. But one thing I do remember thinking to myself is, man, whatever he's doing, he's making a lot of noise. And it's, and it's scaring me to death sometimes. The, the second thing I remember is uh, the time that I took my wife, uh, who was my fiance at the time, deer hunting. I love to hunt and fish. I just love to be outside. And I will preface this about she had never been hunting before. She had no idea what to expect or anything. So we, we get out in the woods, and I keep having to say, shh, be quiet. You got to be still. You got to be still. And after about the third or fourth time, she was ready to go home. And she looked at me and said, you didn't tell me before we came that I had to be quiet and be still. She said, Where, how was that enjoyable? I also remember some difficult times in the past where God has pressed these words of peace be still deeper into my heart as I held my mother's hand when she took her last breath. How I clung to those words. I also heard them during my wife's gamma knife surgery as I sat in the waiting room during the procedure. Wonderful procedure, you guys. I don't know if you've ever heard it or seen it or not, but just incredible. Um, as I mentioned earlier, she had a meningioma or, or a, a benign brain tumor that would have required a craniotomy or surgery had it not been found when it was. The tumor was within hundreds of a millimeter from being too large to treat with that procedure. Hundreds of a millimeter. As I was sitting there in the waiting room waiting, praying, the nurse comes running in and says, you've got to come back here. You've got to, you've got to come back here. You've got to see this. And I thought, Oh, Lord. Of course, I got scared right away thinking something was wrong. So I rushed back there. I look on the monitor, and here's my wife lying there, all hooked up to what looked like some sort of weird space helmet with holes in it. If you've ever seen that, uh, seen that procedure, she was singing, You're the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain. That's all I needed to hear. God knew that's what I needed. He knew, he knew right then that's what I needed to hear. Um, by the way... I praise God for, one of my, for my wife, one of the greatest blessings in my life. And so I'm so grateful to the Lord for giving her to me. In today's passage, 
Jesus speaks the words, peace be still, to calm the storm and to bring peace to a dangerous and scary situation for the disciples. As we go through and discuss the passage, those of you who are taking notes, there are three points I want to share with you. The first one is the power of the Savior. The second one is the peace of the Savior. And the third one is the promise of the Savior. Before we get into point number one, let's take a look at some background information about this passage in Mark. Jesus and the disciples had spent the entire day speaking to the multitudes in the territory of Galilee. The crowds were so large and continued to get so large that eventually Jesus had to get into a boat to speak to the crowds while the crowds stood on the, on the shore. Um, after, and after a while, um, towards evening, Jesus instructed the disciples to get into the boat so that they could cross over to the other side toward the east. Now, the body of water that they, that they were on was actually, it was a, called the Sea of Galilee, which is really not a sea at all, uh, but rather a large lake that's located in northern Israel. This lake is about seven miles wide at the widest portion, and it's shaped like a harp, which explains the reason for its Hebrew name, Sea of Kenareth, as Kenareth is Hebrew for harp. The surface of this lake is about 600 miles below sea level. And it's located in the Rift Valley, which is a natural fault line that runs down the Jordan River Valley to the Dead Sea and actually all the way to, to Africa. Mount Mora is a mountain range located just to the north of the lake and is 9,000 feet high at the highest peak. When you mix the climate and topography of this area, the result can sometimes be the perfect storm. The warm air rising up the through the valley to meet the cooler air on the mountains sometimes results in these squalls or storms that I was, we read in the story a few minutes ago, which sometimes occur out on the lake. Another interesting fact about the situation with Jesus and his disciples is the size of the boat that they were in. It was large enough to hold 13 men, but probably not much else. And it was probably no more than about 20 feet long. And those of you who have ever been on a boat, you got 13 people on a 20-foot boat, even in normal circumstances, that's a lot of folks to have on one boat when it's, when it's that small. Uh, you can see why it would have been so challenging uh, to have that many people during that situation with them. Okay, now that, we've, now that we've looked at the background, let's dive in with our first point. The power of the Savior in verses 37 to 39. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And again, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Peace, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. This type of storm or squall, is, as I talked about earlier, is, is a fairly common occurrence on the Sea of Galilee. And it comes with little to no warning. Remember that the disciples didn't have the benefit of Doppler radar, or the Weather Channel, or apps. And apps wouldn't have done any good. They had no cell phones, no other technology. When they wanted to know what the weather was like, they probably had to do the same thing that we have to do and I had to do when I was little. My granddaddy, used to, I used to ask my grandfather, what's the weather like, Grandpa? He'd say, walk outside, look up, look around, then you know what the weather's like. They probably had to do that same kind of thing. Um, this whole story is one that uh, uh, I can relate to uh, directly. Um, back in 1968, a long time ago, I was nine years old. And in the summer, we would always go up to Ocean View Beach in Norfolk, Virginia to, for a vacation every year. Uh, my mom and dad and my older three sisters and me. 
Um, and it's always during the July 4th week. And my birthday is on July 3rd. So we always celebrated there uh, every year, which was kind of cool. One of the highlights of the week for me, besides going to Dairy Queen and getting a banana split that I could eat all myself and not have to share with my sisters, was our annual fishing trip. My dad would always rent a rowboat for a half day and would take my mom and I out fishing. This is the way it went. And my older sisters would always stay there on the beach and, and spend time while we were gone. But with this rental boat company, they would take a motorized boat and pull you out about a mile, a mile and a half offshore. And there you would they have, make sure you have everything you need and you could fish. And uh, then they would go back in and pull the next boat out. And that's the way it, that's the way it worked. Um, if we needed something, the signal was always to take the oar and stick it up, and they would ride out there and see what you need, whether it's something to eat or drink or a new, more bait or something like that. Um, so that they, would, they were supposed to check on you when you had needs, whatever, whatever they were. On this particular trip, we fished for probably about two hours under sunny skies, a beautiful day, but then noticed it was starting to become cloudy. And not long afterwards, it started to get darker and darker, the wind started to blow and the thunder and lightning began. At this point, the rain started to fall. My dad had already stuck the oar up on the front of the boat. It was, you know, it was, just, it was sticking up there for everybody to see to try to get the attention of the guy in the boathouse who was supposed to be looking at us through his binoculars and monitoring everything. Then the rain began to, to come down a little harder, a little harder. And finally, it was coming down in, in buckets. Uh, I looked up. My dad had actually taken his royal blue shirt off and wrapped it around the end of the oar and was waving back and forth like this. Um, but, uh, but no avail. Um, the boat was taking on water, so we decided to start bailing to keep the boat afloat. And I was doing pretty good until I looked over there at my mom and she started crying. And I hadn't seen my mom cry a lot at that age. And boy, that just, I, that tore me up. I was terrified. Uh, and like the disciples, I thought we were going to drown. Uh, it seemed like hours, but in reality, it was probably only about 30 minutes or so when we heard the sound of a boat engine coming towards us. It was another boat from a different boat company who had seen our SOS and had come out to pick us up. After we made it safely back to shore, my dad went immediately into the rental boat place, and of course, I followed in right behind him, you know, wondering what was going to happen. Well, when he got there, he had some choice words for the man behind the counter, and I learned a few words that day. I probably shouldn't have learned at nine years old, but nonetheless, a life lesson for, uh, for me. Um, we see in this scene with Jesus and the disciples that when a storm comes up, the disciples are afraid and worried they're going to perish. After all, the winds were roaring, the waves were crashing over the boat, and the boat was undoubtedly taking on water as well. But in stark contrast, we see where Jesus is asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat, safe, secure in the arms of his father. The disciples wake Jesus up and ask him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Then we see the power of Jesus in his response when he gets up, rebukes the wind and the waves, and says, Peace, be still. Then the wind died down and it was calm. There was no fanfare, no, no calling down multitudes of angels, just the Savior speaking peace into the storm and calming it. Jesus has power and dominion over all things. In John Piper's book, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ, he writes these words, God the Father and God the Son exercise dominion over all things. 
which includes the fall of sparrows in Matthew 10, the rolling of dice in Proverbs 16, the slaughter of his people, Psalm 44, the decision of kings in Proverbs 21, the failing of sight in Exodus 4, the sickness of children in 2 Samuel 12, the suffering of saints in 1 Peter 4, the persecution of Christians in Hebrews 12, the giving of life and the taking in death, 1 Samuel 2.6, and lastly, the crucifixion of his beloved son Jesus in Acts 4, verses 27 to 28. You see, the world was not only created by Christ, created by God, it's held together by him as well. Hebrews 1.3 says this, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And in Colossians 1, 15 to 17, we read this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What a great reminder for us of the supremacy and the sovereignty of our Lord and Savior. Well, just as a storm came up quickly in the life of the disciples, so too do the storms come up suddenly in our own lives. We've seen how the disciples responded in this situation, and we can no doubt relate quite easily to their responses. They were filled with fear, anxiety, due to circumstances that they could not control. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? In a stress management survey that was conducted several years ago, which I thought was very interesting, experts discovered that only 2% of our worrying time is spent on things that might actually be helped by worrying. The other 98% of the time is spent as follows. 40% of the time is spent worrying about things that never happen. 35% of the time is spent worrying about things that cannot be changed. 15% of the time is spent worrying about things that turn out better than we expect. And 8% is spent worrying about things that are so petty they really don't matter at all. In his book entitled The Prodigal God, Tim Keller writes this, If you are filled with worry and anxiety, you do not only need to believe that God is in control of history. You must see with the eyes of the heart his dazzling majesty. Then you will know that he has things in hand. The disciples called out for Jesus, but do you, have you ever wondered how long they tried to bail water or tried to figure out a way before they called on him? They tried to fix it themselves. Do we have similar responses to trials that take place in our own lives? We have a deep-rooted need to be in control, don't we? Don't we like to be in control and know what's going on? Um, the world pushes this on us as well. We like to be in control and fix whatever it is before we call on Christ. Perhaps the most significant question out of all, is how often do we just try to rely on our own strength, on our own abilities to get through difficulties and trials without calling on the Savior's name at all? We forget so easily 
that we serve a Savior who is acquainted with our griefs, who has faced trials and temptations that are much more severe than we will ever face. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was so stressed that he, he sweat drops of blood, which is a real phenomenon that only happens when, you, when someone is really, really under a tremendous amount of stress. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect as tempted as we are, yet without sin. We, just like the disciples, simply forget sometimes that Christ is there with us in our trials. So then the disciples remember that Jesus was with them on the boat, and they called out to him, but where was he during all of this? Again, asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat. After all, they had been with crowds of people all day. Uh, he was undoubtedly tired. So we see that he withdrew from the others to find peace in the arms of his father. That brings us to point number two, the peace of the Savior in verses 39 to 40. He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and said, Peace, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Did you notice that Jesus did not even verbally address the disciples' question from the end of verse 38? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? But instead, he answered them with a life-saving miracle. With the power of his spoken command, with those three little words, he calmed their fears and brought peace to their troubled hearts. And as he had done many times before, he used this time and process to strengthen their faith. Remember, the disciples had been with Jesus for about two years at this point. They had witnessed him healing people, like Peter's mother-in-law in Matthew 8, verses 14 and 15. And in that same passage in verse 16, listen to these words. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. And what about the centurion earlier in that same chapter? In verse 6, the centurion says, Lord, my servant lies at home, paralyzed, and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Jesus said, go, it will be done, just as you believed it would. Wow. What faith that is. Amen? What faith that is. Despite witnessing all these miracles, the disciples, again, uh, still didn't get it. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. There is no need for worry or anxiety for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we believe and have faith, then no thing and no one can rob us of the joy that is found only in knowing and serving the Lord Jesus one of my favorite verses is in Isaiah 26.3 that says, God will keep him in perfect peace whose heart is stayed on him. So how can we have peace? How can we be still? How can we keep our hearts stayed or fixed on Jesus? Especially today with all the distractions that we have in our lives. I love technology, you guys. 
I love cell phones. I love being able to keep up with people. But technology is one of those things can, can eat away at the threads of, of, of who we are. It can take us away. It can be a distraction for us uh, very, very, uh, very easily. Um, the past two years, as you, guys have, as you guys know, have been very difficult from dealing with this COVID pandemic uh, to dealing with all, the, all sorts of, of social and political unrest. And we've lost focus on what is most important for us as the children of the Most High King. We've wandered away from the one who should be our first love, from Jesus. Yet through it all, God remains on the throne and he has continued to pursue us. He is so good. That is who he is. That is his character. And he loves us so much. Don't let the evil one convince you that God brings trials and brings temptations and brings difficulties on you as a punishment for the bad things that you have done. Realize that Jesus took all those things, our sins, upon himself on the cross. As Dave mentioned, which we read earlier, he became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us and paid the price that we could never pay for God's glory and for our good. So what, what then do we do to stay our hearts on Jesus and to experience the peace and joy that he has for us? If you've heard, as you've heard often from this pulpit, and David, Dave mentioned it again today, there's no magic checklist. There's no, there's no list we can pull out and go, I've got to be in church every Sunday, I've got to do my devotions every day, so forth and so on. There's, there's no checklist. It's all, it's all from Jesus. It's all from Jesus. But I did want to offer some things to you that I have found to be helpful in my walk with Christ. And these things are modeled for us by our Lord and Savior. These are not things that I came up with on my own. First, we, we must devote ourselves to get away in solitude and silence before God every day. With silence, you can hear the Word of God. You can hear Him speaking to you through His Word. A couple of passages that stick out in my mind are 1 Kings 19, where Elijah went up to Mount Horeb, where he heard the gentle whisper of God's voice. And in Habakkuk 2.1, where he was standing on the guard post, keeping watch to see what God would say to him. This getting away allows us not only to hear God, but also to express our worship to him. George Whitfield, who was an Anglican clergyman and evangelist in the 1700s, said this in one of his journals on silent worship. I love this quote. God was pleased to pour into my soul a great spirit of supplication and a sense of his free distinguishing mercies so filled me with love, humility, and joy, and holy confusion that I could at last only pour out my heart before him in an awful silence. I was so full I could not well speak. Jesus was a perfect role model for us in getting away. You can look in Matthew 14, uh, 23, as well as Mark 1, 35, and in Luke 4, 42. Uh, for examples of that, we won't turn there today, uh, but look back at that if you will. Even in the midst of ministering to people, to sharing the gospel, to healing people, Jesus realized and practiced this this act of going to a solitary place, place to be alone with his father. Even in the busyness of life, guys, we've got to find a way to get away. We've got to find a way to get away and get with God. 
The second thing is to pray, pray, pray daily. Give thanks to God. Lay your struggles, your burdens, your worries at the foot of the cross. Someone told me one time, God has broad shoulders. He can take all that. We can't. Only through his strength can we stand under, under the burdens that we, that we deal with. At the foot of the cross, Jesus is waiting to take those there from you. Ask God to remove things in your life that pull you away. We all are, our, our hearts are idle factories, as we have heard before. So many things pull, up, pull our attention, pull our focus away from him. And sometimes we often focus so much on the trials and difficulties in our lives that we lose focus on the person who loves us, the one who's always there for us and who really matters in our lives, and that's Jesus. Scholar Adams preached about three weeks ago, REF minister at ECU. You guys know him. And he said something that uh, I'm, I'm not getting it totally right, but I think I get the gist of it. Rather than leaning into, into leaning away and trying to find a way out of the trials. We need to lean into the trials and lean into the person of Jesus. And, and instead, like I mentioned, we cry out a lot of times to have him remove us from those situations. But we have to be open to what God is teaching us through all these trials. Sometimes God allows these trials to bring us to a place where Jesus is all we have to teach us that Jesus is all we need. John 16, says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So far we've seen the power of the Savior and the peace of the Savior. Let's take a look now at my third and final point, the promise of the Savior. Verses 40 and 41 he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. It seems that by now the disciples would have come to know who Jesus was. After all, they witnessed him healing multitudes of people and performing, performing many miracles. But as mentioned earlier, they still didn't get it. They didn't understand what Jesus had been trying to tell them all along. That he and the Father are one and that he is sovereign over all things. But take heart. They finally get it in John 16, verses 29 through 31. Go back and read those, and you can see that they finally are starting to understand. But what else is Jesus trying to show them and us? He's trying to show them his promises. And here, here they are, that he will promise to watch over them during all the storms in their lives. They simply need to have faith and believe that no matter what life brings, he will always be there for them. Another one is they, he will take away their fear and, they were, and their worry if they lay them at the foot of the cross. Ron Meal, an author, shared the following story in a collection of stories entitled, the book is entitled More Stories for the Heart, but this particular story is entitled Calm in the Storm, and I'd like to, I'd like to share it with you. It, it's 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 brief. It goes like this. A woman caught in a frightening storm in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean had kept all the little children from panicking by telling them Bible stories. After finally reaching the dock safely, the ship's captain approached the woman whom he had observed in the midst of the tempest. How were you able to maintain your calm when everyone feared the ship would sink in this storm? The captain asked. As she looked up, 
he noted the same quiet peace in her eyes that she had maintained throughout the journey. I have two daughters, explained a Christian woman. One of them lives in New York. The other one lives in heaven. I knew I would see one or the other of my daughters in a few hours. And it really didn't matter to me which one. In closing, let me encourage you to ponder four questions. Answer these for yourselves when you go home today or sometime over the next week or several weeks. The first one is this. To whom or to what do you run when storms in your life blow in? Number two, so what thing or things are preventing you from being still? What things are pulling you away from God? Number three, is what if God chooses not to calm a particular storm or remove you from a difficult trial in your life for a season? What will your response be? Will you still have faith in him and seek him daily? Will you still know that he loves you and that he is good? And the last one, number four, is where can we go to find peace in this world? Going through trials is never easy, but through each one, God works faith deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts. We always come out of each one believing, realizing that God is faithful and working in our hearts to make us more like Christ. That process of sanctification, for some people, may be day by day. For, minute it's, for me, it's minute by minute. But he is faithful to finish that work. Amen? He is faithful to finish that work. So the, the, the answer to, every, to all of these, of course, is Jesus. Draw near to God. Devote yourself to him. Be still before him daily. There are no trials in this life that are greater than God's love and grace for us. Jesus speaks love and peace to our hearts and comforts us as we go through these storms of life. And even when we can't trace his hand, we can trust his heart. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you are the God who sustains us in the storms of life. No matter how bad the storms are, we can find peace and rest in your loving arms. And we know that we are eternally secure in you. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for our faithlessness at times and for becoming so overwhelmed and fearful during the trials that come in our lives. We pray that you would replace our doubts our fears, our anxieties, and our worries with a peace that only comes from knowing you, that peace that passes all understanding. Father, we ask, too, that you remove any distractions that are present in our lives which divert our focus away from you. For you alone are our sufficiency and the only one who can enable us to have peace and to be still in you. Thank you for your love for us, your children, and for your faithfulness to us every day. We love you, Lord, and we pray in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.